Today we come to the book of Daniel. It's a very strange book in the sense that it's a very familiar book. Every Sunday school kid knows Daniel and the lines then and the stories. And yet, it's a very unfamiliar book because the prophecies in the second part of Daniel baffle Christians. Right? So in one sense, easy book. In another sense, almost totally impossible to understand without spiritual understanding. Okay? Now, the first part of the book of Daniel is about his life, about Daniel. The second part is about his visions or dreams, right? Which are prophetic. Now, this book is often said to be the key to biblical prophecy. You know some of the principles, it will help you understand prophecy. Now, this book is written in two languages. Only two books in the Bible are written in two languages, Ezra and Daniel. The two languages are Aramaic and Hebrew. Right? In these two books, there are two languages. What is Aramaic? Aramaic is the common language of that region, that whole area. Can we say the global language in those days in that part of the world? Aramaic is a cousin, linguistically speaking, with Hebrew, right? But it's a different language. And so, in the first part, chapter 1 of this book of Daniel, written in Hebrew, and then chapter 8 to 12, the last part, the visions part, the hard to understand part, Hebrew again. The easy part, the stories, chapter 2 to chapter 7, written in Aramaic. What's the purpose? I don't know. Maybe the Aramaic part, let the public read it. The people in those days wanted to read what Daniel wrote, and the Aramaic part they would understand because there was no translated Bible. So they saw the Aramaic part. Oh, it's very interesting. Daniel's life, amazing, right? But the prophecy part is in Hebrew, and so the non-Hebrews could not read it, which is good because, I mean, honestly, you couldn't understand it if you were not a child of God, and you couldn't care less anyway, right? So please don't ask a non-believer to read the prophecy part of Daniel. You just totally confuse him. Now, before we go into the nit and grit and confuse ourselves, let's see the big theme of the book of Daniel. The big theme is kingdoms. God allows kingdoms to rise and to fall. Ultimately, all right, every kingdom goes through the same cycle. God allows it to rise. And men have power, they have pride. And they have pride, they take become cruel, they become corrupt, and they cause misery to their people, and then God brings them down and brings another one up. Okay, we study in Chinese history, the dynasties, they start pretty well, then after a while, they go into that cycle of corruption and power and, and cruelty, and etc., and then God brings them down. So, it basically the theme is ultimately, 
all human kingdoms are going to fail us. But ultimately, in the end of time, whatever that will be, there will be one kingdom, God's kingdom. That's what this book's all about. All right, so many kingdoms here. You see, every dream is about different kingdoms coming up, rising, and now one replaces it. And then at the end of it all, one kingdom is going to come up. And that's God's kingdom, bringing not pain, but peace. Right? So I hope that you see the big picture. And if anytime you lose the big picture, you lose it all. And you see, God ultimately has a plan for us that we will live in the ultimate kingdom of God. Be patient, right? Now, basically, there are certain sub-themes, I would say, okay? Sub-themes. The big theme is that. The sub-theme is there are three stories of faithfulness. In chapter 1, how Daniel and his three friends refused to eat the food of the pagans, right? Then in chapter 3, the three friends of Daniel refused to bow to the idol. And then lastly, chapter 6, Daniel himself refuses to pray to the king. So, you see, three stories of faithfulness of God's people. And then the three stories end up in them suffering, but ultimately being blessed for their faithfulness. All right, so there's a sub-theme. Faithfulness leads to some suffering, but ultimately blessing. Okay, so that's a, one of the sub-themes. There's a second sub-theme. It shows that suffering comes because of super arrogant kings, right? And then we see that in chapter 4 and chapter 5, when Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's like God, right? See, when you get power, that's what you think. And then God has to bring him down. And then chapter 5 shows his son, Belshazzar, drinking from the holy vessels of God's temple in an orgy. Who does he think he is, right? Using God's vessels for an orgy. God hammers them down. Okay? Well, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a beast, like an animal for seven days, mental problem. His son gets killed that very night. He fools around with God's holy vessels, right? So what is it? Sub-theme. Sub-theme is this Kings, after a while, think they're like gods. They become like beasts, right? Instead of subjecting to God, they want to be gods. Sub-theme, huh? What other sub-theme? It shows us that another sub-theme is the visions. The visions show that ultimately, there will come a kingdom. Ultimately. At the end of time, there will be a kingdom. And that will be eternal kingdom. Amazing one. Okay? Something again. Enduring kingdom. Everlasting kingdom. Okay? So these are the three sub-themes in the big theme. Okay? Now, let's look at 
Daniel. Who was Daniel? Daniel was a teenager probably when the Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, conquered Jerusalem, hadn't burned it yet, and he took out the royal, uh, the elite of Jerusalem. And Daniel being off the royal line, all the princes of many, many, you know, kings had a lot of wives and a lot of princes, and the princes were taken out, right, to Babylon. And Daniel, all right, was in Babylon, and God blessed him, and he served under four kings. That's amazing. Two Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and two Medo-Persian kings. So we just say Persian, all right? Medo-Persian kings, right? Darius and Cyrus. So he served under four kings, two different, shall we say, empires. Okay? Quite unusual, very, very rare. And he was not serving. He was a super civil servant. He was like PM level, you know? Prime Minister level, okay? So that was Daniel. Now let's look at chapter 1. In chapter 1, it tells us that the uh, Babylonian king brought out these, these uh, hostages, this royal line, and one of the purposes of the Babylonian king was to train an elite civil service because he had to rule an empire. So he wanted the best brains, very much like Singapore. You know, we have scholarships to get all the best and brightest of Singapore because we don't capture them or kidnap them. We, we entice them with scholarships. Or in those days, they use a different source of getting what we call good brains, good manpower. So they get the best and brightest from different places, hostages, and then they are brought into the king's court. And they are selected like interviewer, like a scholarship interview. And then Daniel and his three friends, okay, all royal line, royalty, or probably teenagers, that's the best time to indoctrinate. You know, like in Singapore, we give scholarships to teenagers usually in secondary school. So their brain becomes Singaporean. And one day, hopefully, they stay in Singapore and increase or uh, give us a better genetic pool of bright people, right? So same thing, same old, any wise ruler would do that, okay? And one of the first things they did to Daniel and his friends was to change their names, okay? You'll find the name Daniel, it ends with L, that's God, Mishael, another guy there, right? L, and two of them ended with Ah, Yah, right? Hananiah, right? Ezariah. Right? That is Yehovah. Okay? Jehovah. So, basically, they changed their names from the names of their gods to the name of Babylonian gods. So, they had new names. Daniel became Belteshazzar, which is the name of a Babylonian god. And all the others, also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all names of Babylonian gods. So, the idea was to give them a new identity. Their loyalty now is to Babylon. Now, they never protested that. What's in that name anyway? You can call me anything you like. That's your choice, right? But when they were put into the college, right, or this, this elite school to be trained, one of the things was their diet. They wanted them to be look, 
impressive, big and strong guys. So they have lots of meat and the best, finest food. But being Jews, they couldn't eat food that was not kosher, was not killed according to Jewish law. The blood had to be shed and killed. Animals had to be killed in a certain way, and only certain animals could not be eaten too. But when they were offered the food, they said, no, we cannot eat this food. See, with the names, they didn't bother about the food. They said, no, 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 we, we can't eat this food. So they negotiated with the chief, the one in charge of their training, right? Maybe we call him the dorm supervisor. And they, he, they said, can we eat our own food? We can't eat the meat because it's not killed according to our laws. And can we just eat veg? At least that's safe, right? So they wanted to eat beans. And so the... The dorm supervisor is a bit nervous. He said, now, if I, if I allow you to do that, you look skinny and scrawny. Now, how are you going to stand before the king? I'm in deep trouble. All right? Not only must you be trained mentally, culturally, but look good. Right? But uh, they negotiated and said, give us 10 days. Well, that's a very short time. I mean, it's almost like a miracle. And 10 days, you decide whether we look better than the other guys. I mean, how do you change your looks in 10 days? Ask any guy that goes to the gym. That's not possible. Right, but after ten days, the guy comes back and says, "My goodness, you guys look better." Right? Basically, they wanted them to be flashy. Right? All old cultures, you know, we we are the new culture that wants to be skinny. Old cultures love to be pudgy. Right? Show that you're prosperous. Okay, so they work out. Okay, and you know what? At the end of it, it's like the, the end of their you know course. They went for interview with the king and, you know, they were found to be 10 times better than all the rest. I imagine that you ace your exam, right? Your civil service examination and you become, go into the elite administrative service. What? What is this lesson there? They were willing to make a stand for God, thinking that it will maybe cost them they kicked out of the school, but on the other hand, they became the top students. So be faithful in little things. They purpose in their heart. It says Daniel purpose in his heart that I will do right. When you have a choice, do right and be faithful to stand in little things. One day, God, he can stand before the lions. Right now, second chapter is a different thing altogether. Now they're all in the civil service, elite civil service. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar has a crazy night. He can't sleep. He had a horrible dream. He wakes up and forgot his dream. That's quite common, right? And so he tells, he's very troubled, that he needs to know this dream because it's definitely something that troubled him. And in his mind, something very important. So what he does is he calls all his wise men. You see, the civil service are always the best and brightest, all right? And he calls them and said, hey, I want you guys to tell me my dream and the interpretation. And all the wise guys freak out and say, what are you talking about? It's impossible. No king has ever asked this. You tell us your dream and then we can interpret your dream. And never can I say, you know, he's like Hitler, you know, he's, he's, he's a monster. He says, no. You're just buying time because I can't remember it. And if you ask me to tell you the dream, you know I can't tell you, so you're safe. 
No, no, you don't tell me my dream and I kill all of you. All of you, the whole civil service wiped out. Wow, okay. So when the, the executioner had to give the news, including to Daniel and his guys, Daniel said, what's happening? And he was told that the king's gone mad. The, king, the king's going to kill all of you because if you can't tell his dream, all the wise men, the entire civil service, the, the elite would be killed. Because you're all useless. No good to me. And Daniel said, wait, hold it. Let me pray. So he calls his three buddies and they have a prayer meeting and they pray. And you know what? God shows him the dream and the interpretation. So he says, let me go and see the king. And he stands before the king and he says, the God of heaven has told me this. This is your dream. And what was the dream? It was about a massive statue, right? And of course, Nebuchadnezzar said, exactly, that's my dream. What does it mean? And it means the statue was a head of gold, the breast, chest, arms, silver, the belly and the thighs, brass, the legs, the lower legs, iron, reaches down to the toes, it's no more iron, it's iron and clay mixed up. What in the world is this statue, right? Massive statue, and Daniel says, this are the kingdoms that will come, right? The head of gold is you. See, Babylon was a glorious empire. Very gorgeous, you know, the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon was like, whoa, it's by the beautiful rivers and everything was perfect. Glorious, that's the word. Gold is glorious, impressive. The second would be chest, two arms, right? That would be the Medo Persian Empire. M-E-D-O, okay? Now we forget what the Medes, the Medes, they were M-E-D-E-S, right? The second empire is the Medo-Persian Empire. It's good, but it's not as glorious as yours, silver. The third empire, no great glorious place, but very powerful. Greek, Alexander the Great. He never built any great cities or like, like Babylon or anything like that, but he conquered a lot. Right? And then the last one of iron, the Romans. Okay? So this is, he is basically told, I'm interpreting it for you, huh? all right? Because later we will see the interpretation, not in chapter two, right? It just told that you are the gold, followed will be the silver, blah, blah, blah. And finally, the last one will be many little toes and fragmented. That's the Romans empire at the end and Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed all right he says wow and he elevates Daniel to be the prime minister basically effectively all right and of course Daniel then asks his friends to help him to rule okay in the province of Babylon and he Nebuchadnezzar, your God, he must be the God of gods. Okay? Now, what's 
actually Daniel saying? He says, your kingdom will be smashed on one day. That's basically what he's saying. And the meat thing, the, the, the drinks will smash. Basically, the theme is the same. Kingdoms come, kingdoms will go. Don't be too arrogant. Don't be too impressed. If you're the king, don't be arrogant. If you're the subject, don't be too impressed. All right? Or depressed. Depends on which way you look at it. Okay? So, that was how he was elevated from elite service to PM level, right? Prime Minister level. That's uh, chapter 3. Now the king gets so egoistical. Instead of thinking it, that, my goodness, one day the Middle Persians will wipe us out. He's the head of gold. He only focuses on the gold part. And then he gets so excited, he builds a golden statue, right? 90 feet tall, right? Puts it on the plate so that it stands out uh, really high. And then he makes a decree that whenever the national anthem is played, or whatever anthem, I mean, some song is played, everybody's going to bow to this golden idol, which is basically him, right? Now, of course, Daniel's three friends who are top civil servants now refuse to bow. And there is a decree that if anybody doesn't bow, he will be burned in a fire furnace of fire. So the three refuse to bow, and then what happens is they are thrown into the furnace of fire. Now the king says he's so angry that some people don't bow towards him. You see, this is the arrogance of of people when they have power. I don't even know what's so good about people bowing to you, but you know, it's some something weird that happens to people when they have power, they want everybody to serve them. And so he throws this, he takes, make the fire seven times hotter. This is stupid. I mean, you want to torture someone, make the fire slow, right? Seven times you kill him straight away. There's no torture. It's, you know, shows idiots become kings, right? You know? And uh, so he throws them in the fire, but he realizes they're not dead. In fact, he somehow peeps through the door of the furnace and he sees they're walking around and there's not three of them, there's four of them walking in the fire. That's ridiculous. And one of them, he says, looks like the son of God. So it must be some angelic being. Some say it's maybe the pre-incarnate Christ. And then he calls them out and they come out. They don't even smell of smoke. Now, you, you guys smoke cigarette, you can smell smoke. In the furnace, they don't smell smoke. And he comes out and says, my goodness, your God must be the God. Idiot. You already said Daniel's God is the God of gods. You idiot. Don't you know that these guys worship the same God? Right? What's wrong with you? Are you thick in your head? He was, obviously. Right? When you're proud, you get thick. You get stupid. Right? And so he acknowledges that, oh my goodness, these guys, gods, are the real gods. <laughs> At least for a while he acknowledges that. Okay? Then in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream one night. This time he remembers the dream, okay? The dream is about a huge tree. It reaches up to the heavens. And under that tree are all the birds and the animals take their shade and get their food from this 
massive, massive tree, right? And then suddenly there is a, uh, a voice that uh, smashes down the tree, okay? And what is this, okay? And he is, the tree is smashed down and left a stump and the stump and then the voice says you will be a beast for seven years right now he's, he's trouble he doesn't know what all this is so he calls all his wise men again and they cannot come up with an interpretation Finally, Daniel pops up and interprets the dream for him. Of course, Daniel is very embarrassed to tell him, Hey, king, this big tree is you. God bless you. All the kingdoms, empires are under you. And you have the rule over them. They need you. They're under you. But one day, God is going to make you nothing, just a stump. I mean by that you will be a beast for seven years you will be like an animal behave like an animal for seven years but strangely enough your kingdom will not be gone it'll still be there and after seven years when you get back your mind the kingdom will still be there the stump is still there and the tree can still grow oh Okay, and so, of course, you think the king will be mad. You said, I'm going to be an animal. But the king is so impressed that he actually praises uh, Daniel, right? And says, wow, you're amazing, right? That you can interpret this dream. Now, what is God doing to this arrogant terrible man god's giving him another chance for goodness sake all right first time he realizes daniel's got the real god then the three men's got the real god and now he is not god he's just a, a mere man who can be reduced to a beast like that at one stroke from god the god that he acknowledged earlier you know what the thick brain of his so proud cannot digest it cannot figure you tell a proud man his problems don't think he gets it right he's so full of himself we use that word that nothing else can get in okay so what happens is after a while one day he goes up to the palace after this huh, one year later he looks around and said Look at my empire. I built it. I built this whole thing by my power, for my honor, and for my glory. Wow, okay. <laughs> and then that very moment, he goes crazy. You know how mental you can get. Mentally deranged through one event. And he behaves like an animal. It's so embarrassing. So they had 
the courtiers or whatever, his sons had to put him aside. And he lived with the animals. All right, let me give you a little background story. Yeah? And this is probably true. Nebuchadnezzar, this is historical, married a beautiful girl from Tehran, Persia. Tehran, if you know today, is surrounded by mountains. Beautiful place. All right. Babylon's flat. Flat. And so this beautiful queen he married missed her hometown so much. The mountains. And so the king wanted to impress his bride. And he said, I'll make you a mountain. So he filled the plains of Babylon and literally made a beautiful mountain-like structure. It became one of the seven wonders of the world called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. In the old days, there were seven wonders of the world. This is one of them. People came to look and it was like, whoa, this is amazing. A man-made mountain with, with beautiful trees and everything planted. And she also missed the animals that used to roam in the mountains in her own old home of Tehran. And so he made a zoo up there full of animals for her so that she could look at from the palace, look at this beautiful thing and remind herself of her home. And the story is probably that Nebuchadnezzar ended up in that zoo up there with the animals right, for seven years. Says his fingernails grew like birds' claws. You know, that's possible. You, if he recruits, the fingernails go really long after a while. They're in hag and shaggy, and he became deranged. But after seven years, when he acknowledged, I don't know how, that he is not God, there is a God in heaven. And then he was mentally normal again and became king again. Oh, all right. This is so, so bizarre, you know, that you just can't get it, all right. In fact, I like one part that Daniel said to him, right, when he interpreted the dream. Let me read to you the, uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, it's almost when he's interpreting to the king. Imagine a man telling the king, Daniel 4, verse 17. Let me see that. Yeah. This is Daniel telling him, huh? but before he became an animal. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. <laughs> How do you like that? How do you like your civil servant to tell the emperor, right? Let me tell you, huh? you know this tree, God's going to chop it down. The tree is you. And the reason is, God wants you to know that it is God that allows you to be where you are. He sets you up. And you know who he usually chooses? The lowliest of men. <laughs> you know, I, I I think the thick numb skull of this guy, full of pride, never got it. Right? But when I read it, I was amused. Right? He, he is walking around struggling. He's thinking, like, oh, I'm so smart. I conquered all this. And God said, you know what? I put idiots up there. 
right? I don't know why people want power. You know, it's the worst place to be. Right? I, I, I don't get it, you know. But anyway, a lot of people fight for power. Right? Okay, so story number one, huh? He's humble. He dies. Nebuchadnezzar dies. His son, Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar is Daniel, Belshazzar is all the king, all the gods of that name, something like that, becomes the next king and he's going to celebrate. He's an orgy, wine is drinking and he, he needs beautiful cups for his beautiful wine and he calls, get up the golden cups from the, where my father took out of the royal temple, of the holy temple in Jerusalem. It's beautiful cups for serving God. And they drink the orgy out of the cups and the very night, a finger, dismembered, just a finger. Imagine just one finger running around, writing on the wall, the words, the writing is on the wall, right? Mini, mini, tekel, passing. What does that mean? He can read it, but he can't understand it, right? And he freaks out, he's trembling. And all the people, can you imagine a dismembered finger right before your eyes? One little finger, maybe index finger writing on the wall. My goodness, anybody's hair would stand on ends. I would, I would tremble too. And he calls for all the wise men. And finally they call for Daniel. Daniel says, you know what that means? You have been measured, assessed by God and weighed in the balance and found unworthy to be king. And so your kingdom will be taken away. I'm paraphrasing. And you know what? That very night, I'm sure after that they stopped drinking because even if they were, uh, you know, high, they will be low after that, seeing that dismembered finger. And that very night, Darius, the Medo-Persian, conqueror came in into the fortress of Babylon almost unconquerable took over that very night killed Belshazzar and that was the end of the Babylonian Empire wow just like that okay really God puts you and God takes you down okay and that was chapter 5 okay <clears throat> Now, Darius likes Daniel. So he, Darius made Daniel the chief of his minister's prime minister. Okay? And of course, the others are very jealous. I mean, he used to serve the Babylonians. Now the Persians come in and they still choose this guy. Doesn't make sense. He's an old man at this time. Probably in his 80s. And of course, the younger guys don't like that. This guy is the, you know, he will never get our promotion, right? There's no retirement age, you know what? Civil service always a retirement age for the younger, young Turks get their chance, right? So they have to fix this guy so they can get promoted. So they plan to tell the new king, right? That, you know, let's test our loyalty of all our people. Make a decree that nobody is to seek the help of any other authority 
God, power, whatever, except you. In other words, prove their loyalty is to you, not some other outside power. They knew that's the only way they could fix Daniel because he's incorruptible. So the best way to fix it, very simple. They knew he would pray because he was a public prayer. Every day, three times a day, he would go up to his room, windows wide open, pray towards Jerusalem. Public. He never denied his faith and his God. And when the decree was made, he did it again. Stood towards Jerusalem and prayed to the God, to his God. And they reported him. And the king said, try to get out of this. Because there was, the decree was, if anyone within the 30 days sought help from any other, he should be thrown into a lion's den. Obviously, the Medo-Persian way of killing was different from the normal furnace den of hungry lions. And so, he wants to pull out, make an excuse for Daniel, because he liked Daniel, he trusted Daniel, but he can't. He made the decree. And so, they throw him into the lion's den, and the king that night was so troubled, he couldn't sleep. Wakes up early in the morning, rushes to the lion's den, and somehow he senses the God of Daniel was saying, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel said, Yeah, I'm here. I'm fine. Wow. And they open the door, and Daniel comes out there. Totally protected. Some people say if the lions were well fed, so they didn't eat him. I like the story, you see. The chapter six doesn't let the story end there. The king now was so angry with those who plotted to fix Daniel that he got all of them arrested, including their families, and threw them into the lion's den. And the story says the lions had a good meal that day with those guys. So obviously they were hungry, right? But God protected Daniel. Okay, now, many people, you know, Sunday school stories show Daniel was strapping men standing in the lion's den. That's a misrepresentation. Daniel was like 80 years old at this time. It's Sir Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, you know. Uh, he's not a young guy, right? By the, you count the, the years, he's not young. Anyway, that is the story of the easy part of the uh, book of Daniel. Right, we'll take a break here because the prophecy part is going to be a lot different. The mood's going to be very different. But what have we learned thus far, right? The theme. God tells Nebuchadnezzar, kings, empires who come and go, don't be egoistical, be humble. But he can't. He can't. Right? Belshazzar can't. Right? They feel proud. And basically, don't worry. Relax. We live under terrible kingdoms now. But there is, in 70 years, you live under a bad king. It's okay. Relax. One day, the God who can pull down Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, one day that God will come, set up an eternal kingdom. You live forever there, right? Okay, so that is basically the theme of the book of Daniel. Not so much, or oh, how many years later we see prophecy, people will argue about how many days and all that. I don't think, all right? Because every, if good men keep differing, then maybe 
it's wise that we learn the principles of the book of the Bible, the big picture. Right? Let's take a break now before we go on to the prophetic.